Hey, what's up? Bonjour. This is Brian Mudrick, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. I always noticed you from pretty much doing Sports Center or doing hockey. So my parents watched curling, and I was like, that voice sounds familiar. And then I was like, oh, that's that's Brian Mudrick. Was curling like your first kind of interest into broadcasting, or was it always going to be kind of like were you looking for hockey first? I don't I don't know if I was looking for anything in particular to be honest, Brian. I grew up in a small town in northern Alberta. Not a lot of options for things to do. I loved sports growing up. I enjoyed golf. I, I there was a little three sheeter of curling. I actually worked at the golf course in high school, cutting greens and digging irrigation, etc. So you know, I had a lake I had access to, which was awesome. So I, you know, went fishing and wakeboarding and whatnot. So sports was always ingrained as a young guy in my life, and I probably got the bug, or I kind of knew around 15 or 16. Like I knew I wasn't gifted a 95 mile an hour left-handed arm. So, you know, sports broadcasting might be an option. And I started to take it seriously at a pretty young age. And I used to drive to Edmonton, which is about an hour and 40 minutes away. I'd volunteer at Shaw Cable a couple times a week, tried to get any experience that I could. And then it sort of just went off from there. I got into college at Nate in Edmonton, Radio and Television Arts at Nate. It's the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. You know, the rest is sort of history, I guess. That was sort of my Coles Notes path. And Sports wasn't even on the radar early on because at that time I would have graduated, I think, 1999 out of Nate. Like it was hard to get sports jobs. So my first job was in Lloydminster. Actually, I was a, I did some uh, radio news, some reporting news. And then I was the weather specialist and the agriculture reporter because you couldn't sports jobs weren't accessible. There wasn't many of them. So any reporting and any on air practice was great. And that was sort of the beginning of my journey. It's interesting that you mentioned, like, you know, getting your foot in the door. And, of course, there's not a lot of sports jobs because it's almost like I feel it's like pretty relevant today where, you know, even though you have your Sportsnet, your TSN, ESPN, like all these platforms and people have social media, it's still hard to find, you know, a sports job because you have to have so much pedigree and so much like knowledge of the sports, just not you know, your basic hockey, basketball, baseball, like it has to be pretty well-rounded. Yeah. And it gets even more specialized. You know, I mean, if you're going to host sports center, you better be very knowledgeable on many sports fronts, especially, you know, if you're, if it's an Olympic year or you're an Olympic rights holder, then, you know, I remember one year with the London games, I called equestrian and taekwondo and judo. And those are sports I didn't know a lot about. And so the first thing I did was reach out to people smarter than I was uh, and and talk to people. OK, I want to know all about your sport. I need to know all about your sport. I need to know what scope is an equestrian, which is how high that the horse can clear the jumps by. And then and then there was certain how you score in judo, how you score in taekwondo. And and so it's just getting all the information and, and learning like anything. Right. You Because people at home are going to that know judo and taekwondo really well they're going to call you out if you don't know your stuff so you better know your stuff and obviously in a country like canada 
you know, there's tons of curling fans and hockey fans and baseball fans and, and the Raptors have really put Canada on the map of the NBA and, and the MLS soccer and on and on. There's so many, you know, great sports in this country, but you, you definitely have to have a pretty vast knowledge if, if you're on sports center nightly. And especially when you branch out into calling curling play by play or NHL play by play, you better know what you're talking about. No, I, I think that's an interesting point you mentioned about knowing what you're talking about because I'm just trying to remember which was the interview. I think it was Kara Waglin's interview or Natasha's that they mentioned like when they were doing the the Olympics or it could have been even Kate Burness that when they were doing the Olympics or kind of studying up on the Olympics, Rod Black had told them more or less like you can stay up pretty much all night long just like memorizing things and doing stats and then until you actually get into the moment yeah, you'll have a little bit of the background, but that's when you're going to get more comfortable and, you know, start to feel the game out a little bit. But yeah, it's great to know your knowledge just in case you get stuck, but you'll start to feel it out when you get, you know, in the moment per se. Yeah. And it's like anything like, and the longer you do it for whichever sport you can draw back on knowledge, former experiences. I look at curling, my first Scotties. I grew up I love curling. I grew up curling junior out of Alberta. I got to play against some pretty good junior teams. And there happened to be an opportunity back in 2009. And my first Scotties was out in BC and Victoria. The Jennifer Jones beat Marla Mallet in the final that year. And as you do more of these events, you draw on experiences. I remember, you know, back at this Briar or this Scotties where this happened. And in starting to do the Montreal Canadiens play-by-play, one of the best things I've done and, and feel lucky to continue to do is the under 18 world hockey championship, because these are the events where the Austin Matthews and the Patrick Lyonnais uh, and the Clayton Kellers, etc., shine. That's when you first see them. I'll never forget. My first was in Switzerland in Zug, Switzerland in 2015. It was USA Finland in the final. And it was Austin Matthews and Colin White and Clayton Keller versus Sebastian Ajo and Patrick Lining and Jesse Pugliarvi. I mean, like great young stars in this gold medal game. And Nico Heischer was a double underager at the time for Switzerland. They almost knocked off Finland that year in the semis to get to the gold medal game. Matthew Barzell that year was a star for Team Canada and Beauvillier and Barzell were both on Team Canada. Both were drafted by the Islanders in the first round. And you go on to call, you know, NHL stuff or the world's men's later. And you have these relationships or these stories that you can uh, talk about or tell years later. So it's just all about doing your homework, getting to know the players, getting to know the coaches as best you can. And, and to give your audience is, is some great, relevant, fun stories they may not get other than the, you know, shots are 5-4 in the second period, right? If you can get a little bit more. Well, I, I think it's really interesting because this is where I kind of want to tie this all in together too is I believe Natasha was first she went to school for business and then found out it wasn't really for her. So then I think she went to almost, if I'm correct, the same institution you went to. And you ended up working together, I think, at like either CTV Winnipeg or, or somewhere around there. And then she came to TSN and she said that because you worked prior, she felt a little bit more comfortable with like knowing someone there. And I said, okay, well, that's good. You got like a friend kind of looking out for you. And then Kara had mentioned in her interview that we did that you were her first sports center. And she said that you kind of, in a, in a fun way, not in a mean way, um, like, you know, kind of kept you on your toes, threw you some curveballs. And she said that was a really good way for her to kind of get into the system, but know that she could have a personality, but also, you know, be knowledgeable on this stuff. And I thought like, okay, so even though he's a friendly guy, he's worked his way in there, he's like also taking these people kind of a little bit under their wing and kind of training them in an aspect of, you know, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna guide you. I'm not gonna be mean, but we're gonna learn this on the fly as well. <laughs> I don't know, Brian, if that makes me sound old, but I've done a lot of first sports centers with a lot of people at TSN. But no, those are the people you mentioned. There are just such quality people, and really, I'm lucky to call them friends. Natasha's from Alberta. She actually job shadowed me at CTV Edmonton a thousand years ago, and yeah, I was lucky enough to do. I did Natasha, I think her first show with her, uh, Kara's first show with her and just great people. And they, but like, you know what, just eager to learn, knowledgeable, smart, you know, hardworking, like what more can you ask for? Right. Like just great, great individuals, really good at what they do. And yeah, Natasha, her route, I think she went into business. Actually, Jay Onright, I think was the same. I think he did business too at U of A and then, um, and went into sports broadcasting. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that little, I was actually a young guy. I was the youngest guy at Nate, I think, a student, never mind, just person at 17. And I had a cancer battle back then. So it was a tough journey for myself. But, you know, sometimes it's nice to if you have a degree or you tried something else and you go into broadcasting, maybe you're a little older at 25 or 26 because you have a little more maturity and and, you you know, you, you've lived a bit of life, had some different schooling and experiences because broadcasting is it's you know, it's tough. It's tough to crack and get in there. But having a bit of a niche or, or some help certainly helps. And I always promised myself because I didn't have an uncle or, you know, somebody in the business that was able to kind of guide me. I sort of seek I, I went to seek that help out myself and I had some great people over the years help me. And I always promised that, you know, if there was young people that were hardworking and had the right intentions, I'd be more than happy to, you know, to, to do what I could to help. I think an interesting story there with you being 17, battling, of course, cancer. I could be wrong on this, but wasn't it that your dad went to like the orientation? Yeah, no, that's right. And the funny thing was, so eventually my, my dad actually was my math teacher in high school and he went to Ryerson in Toronto. He wanted to be a meteorologist. So he went to Ryerson and then he dropped out because his math or his physics wasn't good enough. And then he becomes a math teacher. Figure that out. And he was a farmer. So my first TV job in Lloydminster was one of them was actually the, the agriculture reporter and the weather specialist. So we laughed because I had my dad's dream job at 19. But when I was supposed to, so Nate, I think at the time, they would allow something for every 500 applicants, they'd allow 30 to get in. And I got in on the second wave in January and I was, I did not want to miss orientation. So I had to start chemotherapy though, my first day. So I sent my dad and Chris Durham, who is our news teacher, uh, radio and news teacher to this day we're still friends and we laugh at this because here's my old man in there who's probably at the time i don't know he looked like a little out of place and after you know roll call chris said oh you you know you're getting a little late start and then my dad laughed and explained he was just there for me but yeah it was great on him to do that but it was it was tough because i basically went to uh, school in the morning and chemotherapy in the afternoon and yeah it was a uh, college for most kids is a lot of fun and drinking and you know having a good time and for me it was uh it grows you up pretty fast, right? It, it also gets you on the the right track to do what you want to do because nothing, nothing's promised to you and life is short. That's not a cliche. It's the real deal. At 17, you're right. You go to college, university, it's the time of your life. But like here you are battling chemo and then uh, we'll get a little bit ahead, but like you beat it the first time only to find out it's back. Why were you thinking the second time when it came back? And I think you're only 19 at this point. Oh, you're just, you're absolutely devastated. It's, uh, I, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It's the, you feel absolutely numb and then shocked and then you're scared and then you just can't even imagine what's coming up because uh, of how hard it was the first time. I think it was 12 rounds of chemo and I had radiation and 
the set you just know like that that was no joke it was hell and yeah the second time was really awful it, i had a stem cell transplant so basically they they take away your immune system they take out your stem cells and they hammer you with chemo for seven days they give you your stem cell back and they hope you make it they hope you live so it, it, you know the, the whole it's funny this whole covid 19 thing and you know wearing masks and isolation i look back when i was that age if i caught any sort of cold i would have died so I look now and, and all these years later, and I'm, I'm just so grateful for frontline workers and nurses and doctors and, and people that self-isolated early on in this thing, because like I, 19 year old me is so grateful because I, I, you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have been around and I look at the sacrifices years later and I'm just very, uh, I guess I'm very, it's for me, it's very personal and I'm very sensitive about it. But when I, when I see they really are heroes, like uh, the nurses and doctors and the people I mean, the people at the grocery stores early on, right? That when we didn't know about this virus and what it entailed, like the people that were just out there, you know, selling us groceries, you know, I mean, that's so important. Like, so, I, you know, I tip my cap and, and absolutely my heartfelt, you know, thoughts to, to these folks. And because, yeah, I went through hell. I really did. It was uh, it was God awful. And I guess, you know what, Brian, I don't take I don't take my life for granted. I don't take friendships and certainly not my career. And it's really, I think, has been a driving force behind why I, I, you know, I've never quit on it. And I've worked really hard and diligently. And I'm very proud of, of what I've managed to accomplish. Well, see, and this is uh, kind of like, again, I'm, I'm a little bit of a jokester, but I mean this in, in the, the nicest of ways. But now I know both of us have the same name, Brian, but a good person to have this kind of conversation with. And I believe you know him because when he posted on Twitter, I think you were one of the ones that said congratulations for beating it. But I actually went to school with him, Brian Frazier. It's like he's a yeah. big he's a big Sens fan. And I remember he was yeah. the in level, I'll call it level two because we were level one. And like, you know, I know Brian well, somewhat well. Like we never really seen eye to eye with different sports. But when something like that comes up, I, I just looked at it and I said, no matter... If you, if you didn't like the guy, if you never seen eye to eye with him, and, you know, in this case, I'm like, geez, he's, you, I didn't even know that he was battling it. And then when I seen that he was in remission, I was like, well, congrats to him. Like, regardless of what was said, what's done in the past, like, here's a guy that, you know, had this thing just tossed at him, and, you know, you don't know the outcome. I'm sure he was terrified. He was scared. And to see him just battle it through, get all these positive remarks, like, I was just happy for him. But... I'm sure if two of you sat down and had a conversation, like two of you could probably relate a lot more than what I'm relating to right now with you. The one thing when you bring that up, what I what comes to my mind, I, I did a charity golf tournament for years for the hospital I was treated at, the Alberta Cancer Foundation. And one of the things that just sort of happened is that we did scholarships for kids that were in post-secondary education. So like I was, right? Like if you're going to college or university and we would just hand out scholarships and, and these kids would end up coming back just kind of by accident, but what a great accident. Like they would be the guest speaker the next year. Just, they just so they wanted, they felt so compelled. Like they were felt so grateful to be recognized for being a survivor and getting these funds to help them that they wanted to come back and volunteer or speak. So the stories and the sit downs with those families were probably my favorite memories. I remember one girl, you know, she had to make a decision before Christmas whether to cut off her leg. It's like 21. And so to, if she, you know, to give her the best chance of living. And she did. And, you know, she walked up in her prosthetic leg and a beautiful young lady and did her speech. And everyone's bawling their eyes out like it. And to sit down with these families and like the perspective you gain, not that I need any more in my life, but like, you know, like it's wow, you know. 
And so, yes, to sit down with people who have who put on the gloves and have battled in similar ways. And and I always consider myself very lucky. Hodgkin's lymphoma is a very is a beatable cancer. I lost my brother to a cancer a couple of years ago. That was just a death sentence, just an awful thing. Like so for for anyone who's ever had to fight, I just, you know, God love them all. Like I'm telling you, it's it's uh and for their families, it's a real struggle. It's really tough on everyone, all your support staff and people around you and loved ones, et cetera. It's a, it's a really tough go. So, yeah, I mean, I, again, I nothing but praise for, for people that have had to battle that disease. And I, I guess kind of the last kind of thing I want to mention here, of course, with, you know, hockey supposedly ramping up, you know, you do the Sens, a few of the Sens games and, of course, Montreal. I see that Chris Cutford, like, recently left TSN. I, I'm just wondering, like, and I don't mean to get into in the grasp of like why do you leave or blah blah blah, but is there things that you're gonna miss with Chris Cutford leaving, and is there stuff they taught you? Because I'm assuming now that that role is gonna go to someone like yourself or someone on the up and ups to do those games. Well, I, I can't speak for you know. Number one, I was absolutely I was gutted that Chris was leaving us. I mean, for a guy I grew up in Western Canada, CFL football, hockey. You know, Chris Cuthbert was like the one of the voices of my generation growing up. And two quick Chris Cuthbert stories, which are really cool. Literally, after my brother died, I, I flew back. And uh, my first game back happened to be in Ottawa. And how it worked out, it was Ottawa-Montreal. So Chris was calling the game for TSN 5. And I was calling the Habs region for TSN 2. So we got to call the same game. So here I am in, in my, you know, I'm in my, I'm driving the rental car with Chris Cuthbert, Mike Johnson and Jamie McLennan. All I'm thinking is, man, don't get in an accident. Like, let's go. Let's be good here. It was really neat after the pattern. And, you know, obviously I look up to Chris a lot. And, and as we're walking to our broadcast booths, he looks at me. He's like, okay, be good. And then he stops and says, but not that good. And he laughs. Right. And, and that was really neat. I got a photo with him, but, but my favorite Chris Cuthbert story has to be, I was in Edmonton. I don't even remember why it doesn't matter, but I was in town. I'm from, I'm from there. So I'm with a bunch of buddies at a, at a really nice pub downtown. There's a few of my girlfriends were there as well. And they look over and the ones like, Oh my goodness, look over there. That's Wayne Gretzky. And it was Wayne Gretzky in the corner. And I look over there. I'm like, Hey, that's Chris Cuthbert. Like, <laughs> and it was, it was Ray Ferraro and Chris Cuthbert and Wayne Gretzky, obviously. And they're having a beer quietly in the corner. And of course the, my friends like, Oh, we got to get a photo. I'm like, listen, leave him alone. And I, and I, I just had worked with Ray Ferraro at the men's worlds in 2015 in, in Prague. So I was like, let me go say hi. Let me just like sess out the situation. I've never met Chris, not in person. And yeah. I worked at TSN at the time. So for me, it's like, so I go over there and you know, it was awesome. So Ray's like, Oh, Hey Brian, that was super nice. Chris, such a gentleman. Hey Brian, good to meet you. Good to see you. And Wayne was lovely. And we ended up talking for 20 minutes. Wayne was actually talking about the Olympics and curling and whatever. And finally, I so after 20 minutes, and they're all staring. I'm like, I said, wait, I'm really sorry. Like, like you got, I, you've been asked probably a million times, but those girls over there would love a photo. He's like, oh yeah, no problem. So, girls come over. It's all good. I, I take the full, I take the photo on my phone with with Wayne Gretzky and the girls. And I, I, I'm not even, I don't even flinch. I go, so he's, they say thank you. They run off. I go, Wayne, do you mind taking a photo of me and Chris? <laughs> so Wayne Gretzky took a photo of me and Chris Cuthbert. And Wayne laughed and goes, the golden goal, of course. Why wouldn't you? And it was it was awesome. It was like, I will never forget that for the rest of my life. So Chris Cuthbert is uh, is an absolute, as good as he is as, as his job, he's just the nicest man. And uh, we're, we're, well, I know I will. I, we're going to miss him at TSN. 
Well, I love that because I, I was going to tease you a little bit about, you know, all the girls come over for Gretzky and then, like, just, I could see myself do the same thing where it's like, you know, for, for my generation at least, it's if you see a, a James Duthie there sitting at a bar and you got your buddies with you and then they'll be like, oh, well, James Duthie's sitting with, like, you know, just say, like, Connor McDavid and they're doing an interview and then they're all like, Connor McDavid. I'm like, okay, you guys, you guys talk to Connor McDavid. I'm just going to go talk to James Duthie about how that one time I interviewed him at Carlton. They're like, really? You're going to James Duthie? And I'd be like, really like you're gonna go you're gonna go to Connor mcdavid like and everyone has that really moment of you're gonna go there there and i'm just like yeah of course i'm gonna go here but i just i was gonna tease you because if you said that you you didn't get a picture with chris cutford after that i'd be like hello he's right there it's funny you bring up death heels so this was like i, I might have been my third year of curling and i'm with actually my boss and we're at an earl's or some restaurant just having a drink and it was funny. So the this it, the waitress that we had, a young girl and her friend come over like, oh, my dad is a really big fan. Like, would you mind signing? I'm like, and I'm like, first of all, I'm shocked. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. curling fans. This is awesome. okay, cool. Like, I thought that was kind of neat. So I'm like, yeah, what's your dad's name? And it was, I think, let's say it was Jim. Yeah. So I, I literally start saying, like, signing it like, hey, Jim, thanks for watching the curling. And I was just about to sign. And I can hear the girls going, who is that guy? And the one girl says to the other girl, that's James Duffy. So I signed it James Duffy. So they thought it was Duffy. Anyway, so I signed to James Duffy, and uh, that's my story. But uh, So I let James know there's a bad signature of James Duffy out there somewhere. Um, anyways. Well, I don't know if you're like a big fan of, of comedy, but I remember, in, in, what's his name? Gabriel Iglesias makes fun of when he's in a drive-thru where he was at a, a club, and a girl comes over and... Uh, they sense they's like a, a popular comedian. So the girl really starts pushing on him to sign something for him. And he goes, you don't even know me. And she goes, I don't care. You're famous or something. And then uh, she keeps pushing him to sign it. So he finally signs it, George Lopez. And I, I just thought that was funny because I'm just like, yeah, if you're going to push somebody and you don't know what they're famous for, then yeah, why not forge a signature or be like, yeah, try selling this on eBay or something and see what happens. Just to close out the interview, Brian, you know, with the cast there that you have at TSN, just as a fun aspect, I I'm going to throw out a few names and, and you tell me either a funny story about them or your first time meeting them. How's that? Sure. I'm going to go with the first one, uh, Jeff O'Neill. Yeah, you know what? He's a lot of fun. Great golfer. So I golf. I got to golf with Jeff and Darren Pang at my old club in Scarborough, and really, really good golfer. Uh, you know, great dude. Gord Miller. Gord, super, very, super helpful to me. Gord, when I did, I, it kind of worked out. I had to call the World Hockey Championships in Prague in 2015, and it was sort of a last minute thing. And Gord was super helpful to me. I mean, oh my God, I'm in the, I remember he came down early for me one morning, Latvian names. I was like, hey, I need some help. Like seriously. And Gord, Gord was very generous with his time and continues to be. So, uh, you know, a great broadcaster and very, very kind to me. Now I know there's a connection here with this next one. Jay Onright. Big stud, great hair, <laughs> great parents, Dale and Joanne raised them right. <laughs> Sister Aaron tried to boil Alberta till grade six, then Athabasca. <laughs> and as much as I know people love him, actually underratedly funny. He just always, he's just, he's a great, great dude, great dad, uh, wick, wicked guy. The last two I'll mention here is uh, Lindsay Hamilton. Lindsay's just sweetheart, like great. Lindsay actually, cool story. She came out uh, one year to my charity golf tournament for cancer. And uh, wasn't really a big golfer. And my tournament's not really about golf. It's about fun and raising money. And she's become legit. Like, like she's always a great athlete. I think her sport was lacrosse, if I'm not mistaken. And she was a really good athlete and still is, obviously. And, boy, she, 
I golfed with her last year and literally I think she's been golfing for only two or three years and she is bombing the ball. Like she's, yeah, like incredible. So yeah, just a real sweetheart. And, uh, and she, I'm going to need her on a scramble. Her and Tessa <laughs> Benam, they can, they are awesome off the tee. Those are great, great athletes, great people. The last one I really wanted to mention there was uh, Kate Burness. Burnsy, awesome. Holly Horton was my first, uh, when I first got to TSN on the weekends and then Kate, uh, Kate and I, she was my wing woman. Yeah, Kate's really super professional. Kate's a great story. She's very self-made. You know, she's one of those started, you know, I think she started at Sportsnet doing scheduling or something and then worked her way. I think it was Barry or she got a job at uh, one of a smaller team. Like Kate, Kate really deserves all the credit she gets because she's really worked hard and, and she's earned it. And uh, she's become, she's a, she's a megastar in Canada, I think. She's really earned it. She's worked really, really hard to get to where she is. I believe it was her and I think Natasha, I believe, were like the first, what was it, women uh, co-anchors of like a sports center. Yeah, and I and if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, my dear friend, uh, Soph Coolius, was the, the producer on that show as well. And they might have had a female PA. It was it was awesome. It, you know what? We have so many talented uh, women, people, and all the ones that you're mentioning are all amazing. And we're lucky. Uh, TSN, we're so lucky. We have such great people, hardworking and I'm lucky to call them friends. Like uh, we're pretty blessed at that network. Well, yeah, I, I was going to clue it up by giving you like the mumbo number five song, except it was like, you know, I interviewed Kara and Lindsay, a little bit of the great James Duffy. And then you have a little bit of Dan and Jay, and that makes you a little bit fun. Eh? Okay. Well, I like, yeah. <laughs> I would hope you close me out to, I'm actually, I'm not even a closet fan. You could play some Nickelback. I actually, I'm Canadian. I love Nickelback. Oh. I'm a huge fan. Oh, Brian, it was going so I well. Know, that's, no, that's okay, uh... though. I, I, I wear it like a badge. I think they're awesome live. I've been lucky enough to meet some of the guys. They're, they're super nice. They're, uh, I love them. I love Nickelback. I think they're awesome. Oh, well, I, I'm not, I'm not like just dissing it for the fact of dissing it. Like, I mean, I grew up on Nickelback and then I remember going to Mun and just being like shamed for liking Nickelback. And then I, like, it just, I was like, well, some of these old songs are still good. But then when you start growing up and getting different genres and I'm like, some of these are now sounding a lot similar. I'm like, come on, Chad, you need, you, you got to come up with something different. But for but Nickelback I, fans, <laughs> if it sounds similar, you're never disappointed. Yeah. That, that's that's fair i mean that that's fair that's a good point look at this photograph right like we're good there you go don't don't ask me to sing doesn't get doesn't end well. no i i mean i i i i tested out on a different podcast maybe we'll do one later brian and we'll call it like uh singing with brian's and we'll get oh, fraser involved boy. as well you better serve me some wine or some screech then no we want you to keep your job at tsm we don't want like you know a tmz video of like brian mudrick out on the streets oh. taking it to the streets yeah Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Brian Mudrick for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thanks for listening and good night. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. 
Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.